Thank you for listening to Enabled this week. I will be reading an excerpt from a new book about America's first woman doctor, Elizabeth Blackwell. She had an encounter with conjunctivitis in 1849 that was quite horrific, as you will now hear. To set things up for reading the book, this is a brand new book titled The Doctor's Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. The book was written by Janice Nomura and published earlier this year in 2021. It's about Elizabeth Blackwell, the first American woman to receive a medical degree. She received an MD from Geneva Medical College in Geneva, New York, quite near Rochester where this program originates. Elizabeth officially became a doctor, and then she decided to go to Paris to further her education at a training school for midwives called La Maternité. The other Dr. Blackwell mentioned in the title of the book was her younger sister Emily, who followed in Elizabeth's footstep at a later time. In this excerpt, however, you will hear about the older sister, Elizabeth Blackwell. Another sister named Anna is also mentioned in the excerpt. Now, it was highly unusual that a brand new doctor would want to train with midwives, but Elizabeth Blackwell sought intense training in obstetrics, which she certainly got at La Maternité in Paris in 1849. In addition to the expert training she received in just a few months, she also had a very frightening experience with an eye disease that you most likely have heard about. It almost changed her life and actually could have changed the course of history. I'll be reading from chapter 7, which is titled Setback. On the first Sunday in November of 1849, Elizabeth was working upstairs in La Maternité's infirmary, trying to ignore what felt like a little grain of sand, as it were, in one eye. This was a quote. She was too busy to attend to it, and her mind shied away from its probable cause. In the pre-dawn dimness that morning, she had been making the rounds of the newborns. One of them was suffering from purulent ophthalmia, an aggressive form of conjunctivitis contracted when an infant passes through the birth canal of a woman infected with gonorrhea. As she washed the tiny little affected eye, the contaminated liquid splashed into Elizabeth's face. By evening, her left eye was swollen, and when she woke up the next morning, her lids were stuck together with a gummy discharge. Elizabeth requested to retreat to her sister Anna's new rooms on the Rue de Flores in Paris until her eye was better, but such coddling was beyond the rights of the students. She then sought the opinion of Hippolyte Bloat, who was a young attending physician, and he wasted no time confining her to a bed in the student's infirmary. It was soon clear that both eyes were compromised. Today, though the danger of such an infection eating through the cornea is taken seriously, gonorrheal conjunctivitis is easily treated with antibiotics. In 1849, it was cause for profound concern. Though he kept his fears to himself, Dr. Bloat knew that his friend was in real danger of losing her sight. Hippolyte Bloat and the faithful Clarisse Millet made Elizabeth their highest priority, taking turns by her side for three days. It was fortunate that Elizabeth felt so warmly toward her attendants because the treatments to which they subjected her were torture. 
They cauterized her eyelids. They syringed her eyes with the medicated eyewash known as colerium. A pharmacopoeia of the period mentions everything from rose water to ammonia to sulfuric acid as possible ingredients. They applied leeches to her temples. They painted her forehead with mercury and hellebore. They administered mustard plasters, purgatives, ointments of belladonna and opium. Elizabeth lived on water and broth, her eyes enormously swollen, her sleep interrupted every two hours as Dr. Bloat peeled away the opaque membrane forming over the more severely infected left cornea. It was all very far from the cold-water fresh-air regimen that Elizabeth preferred, which in this case was probably lucky. Had she been in any position to direct her own treatment, her future as a physician might have ended right there in Paris. Anna, this is her older sister now, Anna received unprecedented permission to visit Elizabeth three times a day. The patient appreciated her sisterly attentions, but Anna was not a natural caregiver. Here's a quote. For the first few days after her illness began, I wept almost the entire time. This is a quote from Anna. The next few days I spent in something very like swearing, and up to the present time have indulged in an equal amount of both. She informed the rest of the Blackwells with a telling error that Elizabeth had contracted prurient, P-R-U-R, rather than purulent ophthalmia, and bemoaned, as she said, the great laws of solidarity that so sternly link us all in one, and so frequently make the noble and the good share in the penalties of the ignoble and the evil, aggrieved that virtuous Elizabeth had been laid low by her degenerate patients. Though she was grateful for the special care her sister was receiving, Anna flew straight to Baron du Potay for advice, and was soon adding her own treatments to the regimen, giving what she called the magnetic influence as much credit for Elizabeth's progress as the devoted efforts of the hospital staff. Now, there's a little note here about Baron du Potay. He is known for practicing what was called mesmerism at the time. This blended science and the supernatural. And here's a quote from her. I have frequently found her in such excruciating pain that speech was impossible, and a paroxysm of nervous distress and pent-up feelings forcing her from fortitude and making her weep bitterly, Anna wrote. In five minutes, setting my whole soul into the effort, I have had her sleeping quietly, unconscious of pain. Whether this animal magnetism was imaginary or not, the comforting presence of an older sister, her soothing touch, and the cutlets and fruit pies that Anna brought to supplement the hospital fare were powerful positive forces, both for Elizabeth's health and for Anna's own sense of purpose, much as she might bemoan her own martyrdom. She says, I have indeed lost again almost all the flesh I had gained of late in consequence of this outlay of vitality, Anna wrote about her treatment of her sister. Thank goodness for Dupotet. This is the person who practices uh, mesmerism. Thank goodness for Dupotet, she insisted, without whose constant aid I could not have borne a tithe of all this fatigue and anxiety and the exhaustion which follows my constant action upon poor Elizabeth's eye. 
What she lacked in unflappability, Anna made up for in journalistic gusto. Elizabeth's left eye looked nightmarish, and Anna did not spare the home folks. Much depended on the integrity of the cornea, for, Anna explained, here's a quote, if the portion mortified should suddenly detach itself, the probability is that the eye would at once empty itself through the hole. She seemed at least as fascinated by Elizabeth's condition as she was horrified. The pupil, she said, presents, just now, the appearance of one of those little misshapen blackberries of three granulations, half dried up, that one sees so often on some scrubby little bush. If you can fancy such a one in dull-looking lead, you just have the appearance of her poor eye. Scar tissue on the surface of the cornea had to be cauterized repeatedly so as not to abrade the underside of the eyelid. Throughout the ordeal, Elizabeth maintained a superhuman degree of stoicism. For a woman who hid her own ailments, the situation was a particularly exquisite misery. Not only was she in unimaginable pain, but her curtained sickbed stood in the middle of her own workplace, with her colleagues witness to every aspect of her helpless plight. Their tearful concern was not always easy for her to bear. Here's a quote. She is even sometimes almost tormented by the great number of little kindly meant visits, Anna wrote, of the midwife's attentions. She continues, great is the regret expressed on all sides that she should have missed such a nice operation, one of them said, and missed such an interesting case, another one said. The enforced idleness was maddening, and beneath it lay the terrible fear that she would never be able to see an interesting case again. Between agonizing treatments, Elizabeth remained relentlessly optimistic. There never surely was a case of this disease round which such perfectly admirable conditions could have been united, she declared, grateful for Monsieur, Monsieur Blount's tireless attention and Mademoiselle Malay's deft fingers. She insisted that she could feel her eyes, quote, working and pumping and setting things to the right. This confidence, however, was based at least partly on ignorance. Anna said we do our utmost to keep her from suspecting the alarms and anxieties which any little change of symptoms creates. After three weeks of darkness and pain, Elizabeth's less affected right eye began to clear and her confinement began to ease. One of her first acts was a gift for the tireless Dr. Bloat, who would soon leave La Maternity to open his own practice. With Anna's help, she purchased a pair of lamps for, her new, for his new consulting rooms, which sent Dr. Bloat into an ecstasy of gratitude he could only express obliquely, as the institution frowned on personal interactions between an attending physician and a student, even when the student had a medical degree herself. Elizabeth, quote, I do admire his delicate conscientiousness, she said. His solicitousness was a powerful medicine for Elizabeth's self-regard, if not her actual vision. Quote, he admired my braid of long hair, she wrote, and wondered how fingers without eyes could arrange anything so beautifully regular. 
At the end of December, Elizabeth dressed for the first time since the injury, and with her eye bandaged and her head swathed in a veil, she slipped from the door of La Maternité into a waiting carriage. The hospital register records her departure by saying she was on unlimited leave. This is a designation that would keep her record free from a stain of failure, even as it closed this particular door firmly behind her. In her memoir, Elizabeth made it seem as if she were ill in the hospital for only a few weeks, when in fact it was closer to two months. She always hated to admit physical weakness. It was only a few minutes to Anna's rooms on the, on the Rue de Fleur, opposite the western gate of the Luxembourg Garden, but even that was exhausting. Anna led Elizabeth upstairs, where she could no longer make out the details of the ceiling ornaments and the tasteful wallpaper, nor could she admire the view. A quote from Elizabeth, I felt very weak and laughed hysterically the whole evening, Elizabeth confided in her journal, writing mostly by feel. She could discern the light of the lamp as through a thick mist, she said, and tell when a hand was passed in front of her face, but not much more, and that was with her good eye. It would be the middle of January before she was able to venture outside on Anna's arm, heavily veiled in black lace, and stepping carefully over a crust of frozen snow through the gates of the park. Here's a quote. I felt as if I could defy the cold of Siberia, and I rejoiced in every breath of the fresh, sweet air, she exulted, her writing larger and looser than, a, than, a, than before. I never smelt a summer nosegay of more soul-rejoicing odor. Inactivity was taking a toll on her health. She said, I never was very fat, you know, but now I am ridiculously thin, she wrote. The anatomy of my neck is very unpleasantly displayed. Elizabeth's conviction that God was her most faithful colleague never faltered. She said, I suffered according to a grand and beautiful law that the highest must suffer for the sins of the lowest, she wrote, implying somewhat startlingly that her sufferings, Christ-like, would help to redeem humanity. Her belief that God was more powerful than anything medical science could offer was entirely explicit. And given the limited pharmacopoeia of 1849, belief in God's support remained a powerful drug. The excerpt ends with a quote from Elizabeth, He fills me with a spirit of hope and confidence that reacts continually against the disease and which will finally cure the eye. You have just heard the story of Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell's experience with gonorrheal conjunctivitis in Paris in 1849. The excerpt was from the book called The Doctor's Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. It was written by Janice Nemura and published earlier this year in 2021. Well, thank goodness we can fast forward to the present time. 172 years. What follows is an article about modern-day conjunctivitis with a quick break to another source to bring you details about gonorrheal conjunctivitis. 
So with a sigh of relief, I bring you information from WebMD website about conjunctivitis, or pink eye. This was published on March 4, 2020. Conjunctivitis, also known as pink eye, is an inflammation of the conjunctiva. The conjunctiva is the thin, clear tissue that lies over the white part of the eye and lines the inside of the eyelid. Children get it a lot. It can be highly contagious. It spreads rapidly in schools and daycare centers, but they say in modern times it is very rarely serious. It is very unlikely to damage your vision, especially if you find it and treat it quickly. When you take care to prevent its spread and do all the things your doctor recommends, pink eye clears up with no long-term problems. So what causes pink eye? Several things could be to blame, including viruses, including the kind that cause the common cold, bacteria, irritants such as shampoo, dirt, smoke, and pool chlorine. It could also be caused by a reaction to eye drops, or it could be an allergic reaction to things like pollen, dust, or smoke. It could be due to a special type of allergy that affects some people who wear contact lenses, or it could be caused by fungi, amoebas, or parasites. Conjunctivitis sometimes results from a sexually transmitted disease, an STD. Gonorrhea can bring on a rare but dangerous form of bacterial conjunctivitis. It can lead to vision loss if you don't treat it. Chlamydia can cause conjunctivitis in adults. If you have chlamydia, gonorrhea, or other bacteria in your body when you give birth, you can pass pink eye to your baby through your birth canal, or, as you just heard, to the doctor who was present at delivery. Pink eye caused by some bacteria and viruses can spread easily from person to person, but it isn't a serious health risk if it's diagnosed promptly. If it happens in a newborn baby, though, tell a doctor right away, as it might be an infection that threatens the baby's vision. Pink eye is not an official medical term. Most eye doctors would probably associate the term pink eye with mild conjunctivitis caused by bacteria or a virus. So let's move on to what are the types of pink eye. First of all, the viral strains are the most common and may be the most contagious forms. They tend to start in one eye where they cause lots of tears and a watery discharge. Within a few days, the other eye gets involved. You might feel a swollen lymph node in front of your ear or under your jawbone. The next type of pink eye will be those bacterial strains and these usually infect one eye, but can show up in both. Your eye will put out a lot of pus and mucus. And I think we better take a break right now from this article uh, from WebMD and switch to another article from Britannica. This article gives lots more details about gonorrheal conjunctivitis that Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell had. Bacterial invasion of the conjunctiva is less common than a viral infection. Infection is through direct contact with an infected person or through a person's own nasal or sinus mucus. Eye discharge is generally thick and colored as opposed to the watery discharge of viral conjunctivitis. 
The organisms most commonly responsible for a bacterial conjunctivitis in humans are the Staphylococcus germ, the Streptococcus germ, and the Hemeliophilus influenzae, which may invade the respiratory tract or brain coverings. Gonococcal conjunctivitis, invasion of the conjunctiva by gonorrhea organisms, was once common among newborn infants who became infected during delivery. This infection can cause blindness if not treated promptly. It is prevented by routine application of antimicrobials to each eye of an infant after delivery. Gonococcal conjunctivitis can still be transmitted by sexual contact, however, necessitating treatment with systemic and topical medications. Now, just a note here, I didn't mention in the excerpt I read that Elizabeth Blackwell eventually had to have her eye removed and replaced with a prosthesis, a glass eye, from gonorrheal conjunctivitis. Next, we come to another type of pink eye. We're going back to the WebMD article now. Giant papillary conjunctivitis is linked with the long-term use of contacts or an artificial eye, an ocular prosthesis, Doctors think it's an allergic reaction to a chronic foreign body in your eye. Next, we have the question, what are the symptoms of pink eye? And they say they depend on the cause of the inflammation. They could include redness in the white of the eye or the inner eyelid, swollen conjunctiva, more tears than usual, a thick yellow discharge that crusts over the eyelashes, especially after sleep. It can make your eyelids stick shut when you wake up. Another possible symptom could be green or white discharge from the eye. You could have itchy eyes, burning eyes, blurred vision. You could be more sensitive to light. You might even have swollen lymph nodes. Often happens in a viral infection. So when should you call your doctor? Well, make that call if there is a lot of yellow or green discharge from your eye or if your eyelids are stuck together in the morning. Call the doctor if you have severe pain in your eye when you look into a bright light. You should call if your vision is obviously affected by the pink eye. You should also call if you have a high fever, shaking chills, face pain, or vision loss. These, by the way, are very unlikely symptoms. Call your doctor right away if your newborn has pink eye, as it could permanently harm their vision. Your eye doctor may tell you to come into the office to be seen immediately. If you can't reach your eye doctor, call your primary care doctor if the pink eye is mild in an adult. If your symptoms remain mild but the redness does not improve within two weeks, you need to consult your eye doctor. So next we come to the section called How Doctors Diagnose Conjunctivitis. Don't assume that all red, irritated, or swollen eyes are pink eye or viral conjunctivitis. Your symptoms could also be caused by seasonal allergies, acetai, iritis, chalazion, which is an inflammation of the gland along the eyelid, or by blepharitis, which is an inflammation or infection of the skin along the eyelid. These conditions are not contagious. Your eye doctor will ask you about your symptoms, give you an eye exam, and may use a cotton swab to take some fluids from your eyelid to send away for a test in a lab. 
that will help find bacteria or viruses that may have caused your conjunctivitis, including those that can cause a sexually transmitted disease or an STD. Then your doctor can prescribe the right treatment. If your doctor tells you that you have pink eye, you may want to ask these questions. There are three of them. You can ask, is my pink eye contagious? Another question, if it's contagious, how do I avoid spreading it? And the third question you should know the answer to, do I need to stay home from work or school? So next we come to the section called, what's the treatment for pink eye? And the treatment depends on the cause. If the pink eye is caused by a virus, it results from the viruses that cause a common cold. Just as a cold must run its course, the same is true for this form of pink eye, which usually lasts from four to seven days. Remember, it can be very contagious, so do everything you can to prevent its spread. Please note that antibiotics will not help anything caused by a virus. If your pink eye is caused by bacteria, including those related to STDs, you'll take antibiotics in the form of eye drops, ointments, or pills. You may need to apply eye drops or ointments to the inside of your eyelid three or four times a day for five to seven days. You would probably take pills for several days. The infection should improve within a week. Take or use the medicines as instructed by your doctor, even if your symptoms go away. Next, if your treatment, if your disease is caused by irritants, for pink eye caused by an irritating substance, use water to flush the substance from your eye for five minutes. Your eye should begin to improve within four hours. If your conjunctivitis was caused by acid or alkaline material, such as bleach, immediately rinse your eyes with lots of water and call your doctor right away. If your pink eye was caused by allergies, conjunctivitis tied to allergies should improve once you get your allergy treated and avoid your allergy trigger. Antihistamines, either oral or drops, can give relief in the meantime. But remember that if you have dry eyes, taking antihistamines by mouth can make your eyes even drier. See your doctor if you think your pink eye is due to an allergy. Your eye doctor may have you return in several days to make sure your pink eye is improving with the medication prescribed. So next, you may be wondering, what can I do to relieve the symptoms of pink eye? A lot of it comes down to cleanliness. And by the way, that was one of the big things that Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell believed in back in 1849. A lot of it comes down to cleanliness. Wash your hands often with soap and warm water, especially before eating. Keep your eyes clean. Wash any discharge from your eyes several times a day using a fresh cotton ball or paper towel. Afterward, discard the cotton ball or paper towel and wash your hands with soap and warm water. Here's a good one. Wash or change your pillowcase every day until your infection goes away. When you do the laundry, clean your bed linens, pillowcases, and towels in hot water and detergent. Keep your own towels, your own washcloths and pillows separate from others. And don't touch or rub your infected eye with your fingers. Use tissues if you must wipe them. Next, don't wear and never share eye makeup, eye drops, or contact lenses. Wear your glasses and throw away disposable lenses 
or be sure to clean extended wear lenses in all eyewear cases. You can use a warm compress, such as a washcloth soaked in warm water. Put it on your eye for a few minutes, three to four times a day. This eases the pain and helps break up some of the crust that may form on your eyelashes. To wrap things up, we asked the question, what are the complications of pink eye? This is in modern times. Usually pink eye clears up on its own or after you take any medicines your doctor prescribes with no lasting problems. But some forms of conjunctivitis can become serious or sight-threatening because they can scar your cornea. These would include conjunctivitis caused by gonorrhea, chlamydia, or certain strains of the adenovirus. If caused by a virus, pink eye gets better in two to three weeks. If caused by a bacteria, antibiotics may speed up that process. Well, to summarize today's program, after hearing the frightening story of Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell's experience with conjunctivitis, I hope you have required a respect for the modern form of the disease and its treatments. To end the program today, I have a quote for you to think about from Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell herself. She once said, none of us can know what we are capable of until we are tested. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week.